how we come together and what we do when we are here. Because I think a lot of times we get so caught up in in the the theology, in the study, in the uh, reverence, that we kind of lose some of the excitement of what the Christian life ought to be all about. And so this morning, I hope that, that we can focus not just on the words of, of Scripture this morning, but also on, on the thought behind it. Because I think the, the passage that we're going to talk about this morning, although it is very short, it is one of those passages of excitement. So we're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. But last week, uh, there was something exciting happened here. I didn't get to be here. I was... Um, in Chicago, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and what it means to fly into Chicago at the same time President Obama does, um, which is not a good thing. Um, but there was a baptism service here. I think we got a picture from last week. This Whoever that was did make it back up, didn't they, Skeet? Because generally we keep you under until the bubbles stop and then you get to come back up again. But what a cool thing to, to celebrate the the fact that... that People have, have given their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ. They've accepted the, the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, and they're, they're willing to stand up and proclaim publicly that, that Jesus loves me and I love him, and we have this relationship, and I want everyone to know about it. And that's what the service of baptism is all about. And what a cool thing last week, not only the, the, those that had planned to be baptized, but others that, that just felt the tugging of God on their hearts and, and were willing to stand up and say, yes, I'm, I'm wanting to do this today as well. If you missed it, it was a, a great service, from what I understand, from all, all reports. But I wasn't here to see that last week. I was um, actually made a quick trip last weekend to be um, with my mom. My mom's 88 years old and um, is one of the coolest Christian ladies that you would ever want to meet in all your life. And about two weeks ago, my mom had a stroke, and it has left her um, not very healthy these days. And it had been over a year since I had seen her last. So I thought I needed to get there quickly to go and, and see mom to see how she's doing and uh, spend a little time with her. So I flew out last Saturday uh, morning early and uh, got to Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the exact same time as President Obama did. And when that happens, you fly around till he's done doing whatever he's doing because that's how the system works. And on my way out... I flew out the same time he was flying in someplace else again. So I spent a lot of time in the air flying around while he was doing whatever he was doing last week. But um, that has nothing to do with anything I'm going to talk about this morning. It just, it's been irritating me for over a week now. And <laughs> so I thought I'd just share that with you this morning. Cause, and you could forget all about it, but if you ever see the president is going someplace, don't go there because you can't land. I'm just telling you. That's how it works. Um, but I spent... Four days with my mom, and it was, it was a truly awesome time. Like I said, my mom is one of the most awesome Christian women you would ever want to meet. Our house was filled with missionary people and seminary students and people that she was discipling all my life. They lived with us. They were here for meals. They were there for you know Bible study and discipleship times, all those things that you would hope that every family in church does, my mom did all throughout my life was a great example. And so when I got there to be with my mom, I was sort of struck how old she had gotten, because I said it's been over a year since I'd seen her. And it was striking. And as I talked to her, as I shared with her, I said, Mom, what would you like to, 
to talk about. She said, and as part of, of having a stroke, my mom's been left blind. And she said, would you read, just read to me some? I said, sure, what do you want me to read? She said, Psalms. So we went, read through the whole book of Psalms plus. Um, I said, Mom, I got something else I want to share with you. I'm preaching next Sunday. Let me share with you a little bit from First Peter. And we, we opened up God's Word and we you know, shared a little bit of that too. And the passage that we shared about this morning is going to talk a little bit about inheritance. And she said, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to. She said, my life has been great. I have no regrets. We have such a great heritage that that was built for us and that we tried to build for you kids. But but the thing I'm really looking forward to is this inheritance. She said, I'm ready for heaven. Whatever they're doing with me here, I'm, you know, don't do anything special. Feed me, water me, you know, that's about it. Because I'm ready to be in heaven. Because I know what's coming. And she said, you know, this world is not my home. And it made me think of the old, you know, song that, you know, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And that's exactly where she is in her life right now. At 88 years, she's ready, done all that she can think of to do, and is ready to be with heaven, with God in heaven. And she is ready for that inheritance that's coming. So with that in mind, let's, let's open God's word this morning because I want to share with you a little bit about this whole inheritance thing because I've been pondering and dwelling on this a lot for the last couple weeks. So go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 3 through 5 this morning. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Great passage of scripture, loaded with great words. But you know what? Like I said, I think sometimes we lose the excitement. You know, we're kind of a sit-in-the-chairs kind of church, and, and this passage really probably calls more for... Um, more of a kind of a football game atmosphere, right? Anybody see an Aggie game yesterday? <laughs> knew that was coming. All you in the cult knew that was coming. Um, wouldn't it be nice if we whooped for God sometimes, you know? Because that, that's kind of what this passage is about right here. I know some of you probably have plans for this evening, too, because Texans play tonight, right? Anybody? While I was in Chicago, I happened to pick up a souvenir as well because uh, they kind of play the Bears tonight, so I thought we'd be ready for things tonight. Hissing is not appropriate in church. It's just not. Not at all. Skeet, we need to have a word about this. They're hissing me. I didn't even say anything. I just pulled out a prop. But you know, there's so many times that you know, that, that we get excited about stuff, and, and I'm not sure we always get excited about the right stuff. It's easy to get excited about football games and all that kind of thing, and, you know, things that your kids are doing and all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, actually, as I looked at this passage of Scripture this week, I thought, um, this is going to be really distracting for a lot of people, so I'll just take that out of there, because I'm looking at some of you, and you're ready to, like, stand up and do something, and I don't really need that. Um, but as I looked at this passage of Scripture, I said, this thing calls for, for something else. 
It, you know, it really calls for like a little choir behind you with, you know, the, the, the lady on the, with the great big hair on the organ, you know, to accent the different parts as you read through it. For some big hat ladies behind you and a preacher in like the white suit with the big hair all back and everything, because that's how the scripture is written and that's how it should be read and presented. You know, it should be, blessed be the God of our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy with like all kinds of, you know, organ stuff behind it and drums and things. And I just wish that someone would follow me with the like Wurlitzer organ and do those kind of things. And, and, you know, we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, to an inheritance that is undefiled, to an inheritance that is unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you by the power and it's being guarded through faith for salvation. And it's going to be revealed in the last times. Can I get an amen? All right. That's how this is supposed to be, folks. This isn't just a little bit of history. This isn't just a little bit of prophecy. This is excitement about what God is doing, has done, and is going to do into the future. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want you to think about that with that in mind, that this is something that we should all be just not a little bit excited by, but really, really up about. Because God has great plans for us. And it has nothing to do with how good we are, how bad we are, how sharp we are, how not sharp we are, how talented we are. It's all about God. And that's why we should be excited. So I take this part, take this apart kind of phrase by phrase this morning, if we could. So it starts out with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. How many times do you see exclamation points in Scripture? Not very often. And I believe that when we see exclamation points in Scripture, they're usually not about people. They're about God. Because God is the exclamation point of Scripture. It's not about us. It's about Him and what He is doing that we get to be a part of. You know, there's a a man that some of you may see around town every now and again. His name is Charles Martin. And three people who work in the office all the time know where I'm going with this. And Charles Martin, he's in a, a motorized wheelchair with an oxygen tank on the back. It's probably been a decade since he's been able to put shoes on his feet because they're so swollen. And Charles Martin ministers to people all over town. And you can see him cruising up and down Main Street, and he comes by the church here once a week probably, Kathy? Yeah? And whenever you see Charles Martin... He say, Brother Martin, how are you? He says the same thing. He says, I'm blessed. He says, I'm blessed. And this is a guy that you look at and you say, of all people, he doesn't look overly blessed. You know what I mean? He was he's coming in here one day and he backed up his wheelchair and he's got, like I say, he's got an oxygen tank on the back of this thing. It's sort of like a moon landing vehicle, this thing he's in. And, and as he backs up his wheelchair... Uh, he hit one of the posts that's out in front of the office door and it knocked the valve off the top of his oxygen tank. And he's like, you know, there's this noise going on and there's oxygen spewing out. This is a man that every time you see him, he says, I'm blessed. And you know what? He is because he loves Jesus. He knows Jesus loves him. And because of that, he is blessed. You go to the Sermon on the Mount and, and nine different times in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, blessed is the man who, Right? And it's always something conditional, you know. Peacemakers, loves mercy, all those things. They're about us. 
This blessed in this passage this morning is not the Brother Martin blessed. It's not the Beatitudes blessed. This is a whole different thing that we're talking about this morning. This blessed is actually comes from, from the Greek word eulogy, which means to praise well. Okay? So when this passage says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says, we need to be praising God for who he is and for what he has done. It's not about us. It's not about what he is bestowing on us. It is about him. And therefore, it is even more exciting than just what God may do for us. So we're supposed to praise God well. So what makes God praiseworthy? Well, first of all, I want you to, there's there's a couple of misconceptions in Scripture, kind of words that get mixed up in Scripture we're going to talk about this morning. And this is is one right here, and it's praise. Skeet read this morning Psalm 100, and in Psalm 100 it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Now there's two words in there that as Christians we're pretty sloppy and we interchange a lot, and that's praise and Thanks. Praise and thanks. As a matter of fact, if you gather together a group of, I'm going to pick on teenagers just because they're there. Um, if you've got a bunch of teenagers together and said, we're going to have a time of praising God, so tell me three things that you can praise God for, you will get much, many more, if not all, things that we can thank God for rather than we praise God for. Okay? So as we're talking about this passage of Scripture, you know, I'm, I'm thankful, you know, that God is, is, you know, providing for my family, and I praise him for that. Well, that's really thanks, and it's not praise. Because thanks is about, is about what God is doing for us. And praise is about who God is. And I think it's, it's important that we don't interchange those two things. As a matter of fact, even in that passage from, from Psalms, it talks about where is Thanksgiving take place? Thanksgiving takes place as we enter his gates. Now, you think about the temple here, if you have some vision of the temple. We're thanking God as we enter through the gates of the temple, but praise happens in his courts. In other words, the closer you get to God, the less it is about you and thanking God for what he has done for you, and the more it is about God and who he is truly. Because the gates are the outer part of the temple, the courts are closer to where God's presence exists in the temple. So the closer we get to God, it's less about us, it's more about him, it's less about what he has done for us, and much more about who he is in his character. Now the great thing is that God is of such a character that he is loving and kind and good and generous and just and all those things, that because of God's character, things pour out on us all the time that we can then be thankful for. But let's be careful as, as believers, as people coming into the presence of God here this morning, that, that it's not really about us. That it's really about God and what God has done and not what we have to be thankful for. It's about Him and not the things that He's given us. Verse 3 says of 1 Peter 1, says that He is the giver of living hope. And that is one of the things that we are to praise him for. A living hope. What does that living hope mean? Well, again, let me go back to that time I spent with my mom, and 
And I will tell you, I got a glimpse into the what living hope means as I listened to her talk about what she envisions next. As I was leaving, she said, I don't know what is going to happen to me in the next days and weeks and months here, but I do know what the destination is, and that's all good. God bless her for that, because that's an attitude everyone should have. Living hope. It's new life in heaven someday. It's the end of suffering and problems and all those things that, that beset us. And it's, it's not just that we're going to be, you know, our bodies are going to be restored and all those other things. It's, it's truly the living hope is that we are going to be in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, it doesn't matter what your health is like. It doesn't matter all those other things. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor or, you know, oppressed or anything else in the presence of God. None of that is going to make a difference. Now, the Bible does say that in all of that, when we get to heaven, we'll have new bodies and all those other things. But the real joy of heaven is not what we are going to get. It's that we're going to be in the presence of Almighty God, and that is the living hope. What else do we need to praise him for? Well, let's look at verse 4. It says that he is the provider of our inheritance. An inheritance is a, another one of those words. It's, it's not a reward. You're not building up brownie points here so that, you, so that you're going to get this, this inheritance. It's not a reward for things that you have done. No, it's a share in God's riches based on his love for us. We all know the story of the prodigal son, right? And he asked for his share of the inheritance. Now, his inheritance is not based on what a good farmhand he has been. It's based on the fact that he is the son of the father that owns the farm. So when we think about this inheritance that that we can look forward to, it's, it's not just about how good or bad I have been or not been. It's really about how much God loves me. And God has demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us that we might have eternal life. If you have any doubt about how much God loves you, spend a little time in the book of John and read through the scripture there. It's God's love letter to his people. God loves you so much, and he is ready to share his riches, and that is the inheritance that we have to look forward to. So, so what, is this, what is then the, the means of, an, of gaining this inheritance? Well, let's look again at verse 3. It says that, that it is the work of Christ. Verse 3 makes it very clear that, that our inheritance is not based on what we have done, but rather it's the work of Christ through the plan of God the Father in coordination, the two of them together. And then one of the cool things that it is sealed by the resurrection. If you have any doubt about the power of God, the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ says that he is all-powerful and can do anything because all forces of evil were massed together to put Jesus Christ to death and yet he was raised from the dead in the resurrection. That's where the power of God comes to the fore and we can see it clearly and that is the means of these praiseworthy things. It's fueled by God's power. It's our undeserved reward, folks. You know, the Bible talks about 
about how a father loves his children and will give them things, you know, who, if his kid asks for a, a loaf of bread, would give him a stone or a snake and all these things, you know. We love our kids and would do anything for them, most of us. God loves us in a way that we can't even begin to fathom how much he loves us. And the inheritance that we have to look forward to as children of God is just is absolutely remarkable. But, but there's this thing that is the beauty of God that measures off against the lies of Satan in so many of our lives. You know, God is a God of, of grace and of mercy. And again, those are two words that we tend to interchange in, you know, Christendom. They mean two different things, right? Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? And this, this passage talks about, about God's great mercy. In other words, he doesn't care about those things that you... Uh, he, he cares about them. He has put aside those things that you deserve. So, so all this stuff about God's inheritance, God's love... He's pushed aside those things that you have done. He has exhibited such great mercy on you. He is not looking at them. The Bible says he has separated them as far as the east is from the west. It's like they're buried in the depths of the deepest sea. He thinks about them no more. Satan thinks about them all the time. And Satan comes to us as believers and as non-believers alike and says, you're not good enough. Look at the things that you have done. Look at who you are. Look at what you have done. Look at all this stuff. How could God possibly love someone like you? And so I want you to look at this passage this, passage this morning and, and think about it not in terms of what, how you would react, but about how God reacts. Because God, again, not sparing his own son, sent him to die on the cross for our sins. And Satan would tell you that it's something you've got to earn and it's something that you've got to be good enough to get to, and that is just wholly untrue. So don't believe the lie of Satan this morning. It's not about what you deserve. It's, what about, it's about what God is going to bestow upon you. Because you can't do anything to earn your way into heaven. You can't be good enough to get God's grace and mercy bestowed upon you. It all has to come bought by the price of Jesus Christ's blood. And that's where we are. You know, God is about grace and mercy. Satan is about do's and don'ts. So if the Christian life has been to you a, a set of rules that you are going to obey or things that you're not going to do, you've missed the boat. I'm not saying that having a set of rules and things for your life of things that you should do and things you shouldn't do is wrong. As a matter of fact, when God cho- takes his chosen people out of the land of Egypt, he gives them the Ten Commandments and a whole flock of other rules. But the real key to this whole thing is not the do's and don'ts, it's the reliance on God's grace and mercy. Because you are never going to be good enough to earn God's favor. It all comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, has a great impact on our lives. You know, someone has said that, that every person who becomes a believer moves through several steps. They start out as curious, what's this whole Jesus thing all about? And they move to a point of conviction, or uh, I'm sorry, of being convinced. So they start out as curious, they move to a point of being convinced because some really cool Christian like all of you sitting out there has shared 
Scripture, the love of Jesus Christ with them, and they become convinced that, that Jesus is the answer. And then if we're doing this right, if they're, if they're following Jesus Christ, being discipled, if we're, if we're seeking to uh, serve him more, if we're seeking to become uh, more abiding with him, like we've talked about for the last several months from, from John chapter 15, then we are going to become committed as well. So we all go from being, from being curious to being convinced to hopefully being committed, and that is a transformation of life that comes from abiding. But, but in God's economy, things are even a little bit different. God views us in a different way. He views us first, he wants us to be followers. And, and uh, I think Skeet talked about this passage a little bit last week. I was listening to Skeet's sermon on podcasts in the middle of the night on an airplane. Um, but he talked about how, how God chose Peter. So Peter understands this whole thing, too. Right? He's, he's got a grasp on this. In Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, it says this, And Jesus, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were uh, in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. So Jesus wants us first to be followers, okay? Then Jesus calls us to be servants. After Jesus has called the disciples, here's the first, like some of the first four of the twelve that he calls in that passage. Then he, he expects us to become Servants, and, and you know what? Towards the end of Jesus' life, he's um, he's about to be crucified, and and the disciples, in a point of incredible foolishness, are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus gathers them all together in the upper room on the night that he's going to be betrayed, and he he starts washing their feet, and he calls on them to be servants, and he says, "The greatest among you is going to be the one that serves the best." So he calls us first to be followers, then he calls us to be servants. And then he calls us to be friends. Not with each other, but with him. John 15, 15 says this, and Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So you see that God has this progression in mind for us that we're followers, we're servants, we're friends, and then we're family. When Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for the sins of all of mankind, he gave us the right to be called the sons of God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did uh, receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, you, uh, he gave the right to become the children of God. Get that? The children of God. He gave us the right to become the children of God. It doesn't say because of all the great things you did. It says, but to all who received him. What does receiving take? Is there some great action in receiving? If I came out here and I had a pile of dollar bills in my hand, and I said, who has the gift of receiving? Everyone would, Right? It's nothing special to receive. And this says that that to all who received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God and therefore to get this inheritance. 
that the Bible talks about. And once you are a child of God, just like some of you have done adoption in your families, and I, I had a high school kid come to me one time and said, you know what, I think my parents are the biggest bunch of morons that ever walked the face of the earth. And, and I think I want to just sort of reject them. I said, you know what, Ryan, you can reject them all you want, but you're still going to be their child. You can run from them, you can walk away from them, you can denounce them, you can curse them, you can do all those things, but you're still going to be their child. And that's exactly how it is with God, too. God's favor towards us is not based on our merit and what we have done. So don't let anybody tell you any different than that. Romans chapter 11 talks about us as being grafted into the vine of Christ, into the vine of, of, of Israel. And, and the term grafted is a very cool thing. It, it takes you know, a branch that basically has been removed from something else, so therefore it is going to be dead, and it's actually plugged into the trunk of a tree or a bush where it then takes up residence and it molds and it binds and it comes together with that tree or bush and then becomes an actual part of it, drawing its nutrition and nutrients and character from the thing it has been grafted into. And that's what the Bible says about us, that when we, when we become believers, we are grafted into Jesus Christ so we can pick up his character and who he is, and it can exercise through our lives as well. And the cool thing about that is once something has been grafted, it can't be taken away again. It's the same word that you would use to describe, and this is Houston, I know. But, again, if you're in other parts of the world... In the wintertime, it gets very cold. And one thing you need to know, children, listen carefully to this. If you're ever in a very cold place and there's a flagpole and somebody says, go put your tongue on it, don't do it. Because you will be grafted to that flagpole. And the word grafted literally means this, that if you were to remove that child from that flagpole, or foolish adult, or mostly teenage boy, from that flagpole, part of him would remain with the flagpole. And that's what this whole grafted thing means. When you have been grafted into the body, the family of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that's going to get you away from there without leaving a part of you there so you are not getting away from Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have this incredible inheritance, and it's something that we need to be blessing God for, praising God for every day. And the cool thing about this is then the words that Peter uses to describe this inheritance. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me, if you will. It says this, When we receive this inheritance, it is, first of all, imperishable. That means it does not rot or decay from inside. There is nothing that you are going to do to cause this inheritance that God has given you to diminish. It's not going to rot because of you from the inside. It also says that it's undefiled, so it's not affected by outside stuff. It also says that it's unfading. It never loses anything over time. And that is cool. Everything in this world will rot, will decay, will become defiled by something else. It'll lose its value. But this says that this is kept in heaven. And that word kept is very interesting. It means that it's secured by God's power and is guarded around with a wall like a military fortress. So God is guarding this precious inheritance that is yours as a believer. 
like a military fortress. Nothing's going to change it. Nothing's going to diminish it. And it's possessed now, but it's going to be revealed later. And this is one of the hardest things for us as Americans in this world today. We like the instant gratification thing, right? Yeah, remember when computers first came out, some of you old guys in the, you know, and like it booted up in half a day, right? And you put in that giant disk thing, right? And now, you know, this computer, my kids are like, the computer is running so slow, it took eight seconds to boot, you know. Eight seconds, like a day and a half back when we were kids, you know, especially with the punch cards, right? If you didn't get them in the right order. So we're not good with delayed gratification kind of stuff. But that's what God's inheritance is. It's, it's possessed by us now if we are believers, but it's going to be revealed later. And I thought about that. Why is that? And I think if God truly revealed to us what our inheritance is going to be, we would be of no earthly good right now. Because we would be so desperate to have it now that we'd be of no earthly good now. It's bought by Christ's blood. And it goes back to that little song that says, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasure is... uh, laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckoned me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We need to feel at home. We, we don't need to feel at home in this world, but we need to keep serving God while we're here because God has called us to be, to be followers, to be servants, to be friends, and he has made us part of his family. And because of that, he has bestowed incredible riches upon us. And the best is yet to come. And as I left my mom this last week, this last Tuesday, and she said, I don't know what the next days and weeks and months have ahead of me, but I do know what the destination is. Those are words I will never forget that have changed my life. And I hope as I share that with you this morning, that it's, that it's words that, that you will really listen to as well. It doesn't matter what goes on in this world. Our economies go up and down. The Bible talks about why do the nations rage? Because God has a plan. So why do we waste all our time and energy worrying about these things? What we should be worrying about is how can we share Jesus Christ and his love with others so that they can experience this inheritance as well. Because to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. People receive because we share, because the Holy Spirit does a work in their lives, because they see things in us that are attractive to them and they want that for themselves as well. So you want to be inspired by something that's just actions in this world right now? Great. The inheritance lies ahead, and God has given you a work to do while you're here. That is to love other people. That is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. That is to call them to a point of repentance. It is to help them grow. It is to work together as a body of believers so that we are displaying the kingdom of God to people here on earth. And that's what we can do. And God has such a great inheritance ready for us. It's unbelievable. The eye has not seen and the mind has not imagined 
what lays in front of us in heaven. And it's going to be great. Serve well while you're here and look forward with great anticipation. Because it's not you. If it was all about you, if it was all about me, my reward would not be so great. But it's about what Jesus Christ has done. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, we have reason to celebrate and reason to look ahead.